Good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us. It is good to see you and have you with us today. As we continue, those testimonies are always such a a touching part of our service. And that kind of really, believe it or not, kind of concludes our testimony run in the book of Acts that we've been doing now for several months. Isn't that cool to see that many testimonies go through? And uh, now that we we kind of finished up that, uh, we already have people on the waiting list for our next round. So we're praising God for that. But uh, I also join Pastor Doug in sharing and praising God that, yes, God altered our plan a little bit last week in the sermon, but he had a divine appointment with over four individuals yes week who accepted Christ as their personal savior after the service. Amen? What a great and exciting time that the Lord has given us here at this church, despite uh, a difficult time as well in our lives. But uh, that is what happens when uh, pressure is on the church and pressure is in our lives. We often see the Lord use it in such awesome, awesome ways to bring glory to himself. Well, hey, we're continuing a pioneer series and we're nearing the end of the pioneer section of the book of Acts. Believe it or not, we've been in Acts for 18 weeks. This is the 18th sermon. So if You've been able to track with all of them. You've heard a lot of information about how to grow on faith, not only from the text, but through our pioneers that we've been looking at. And this week's pioneer, I'm going to tell you what, he he is um, a picture of perseverance. So if you're struggling right now in your life and you kind of need somebody to look to, to kind of inspire you to persevere through it, maybe you're being treated unfairly at work or at school or in your life and and you need just some, uh, I got to tough this on out. I'm struggling with wanting to quit, give up. If you're here today and you kind of walked in or you're joining us this morning, and you just kind of feel that, I got a pioneer for you. Born in 1758 into the home of a very wealthy attorney, okay? This is a rich kid, all right? He was sent to Eton College, a boarding school at the age of seven, where he became known as a sharp-looking athletic show-off. All right, you see it? Okay, all right. Um, <laughs> Simeon's main interest centered around horses, Okay, so he was loaded, all right. Games and fashion, all right. At the age of 19, he went to Cambridge. All right, dad can pay for any education he wants. Cambridge, King's College. There, he was told he must attend chapel on Easter day to receive communion. Wow. Well, he considered that Satan himself was as fit to attend the sacrament as I. Still, he saw it hard to see how he might sort out this in his conscience. He began to read scriptures and various devotional books. Were they not built differently in the 1700s? Like college students, let's be fair to our current society. If you found out you had to go to chapel for a school, you'd be like, dude, what's that about, right? I doubt you grab devotional books and try to study and philosophically find a way to do the sacrament. I mean, they were just unbelievable in their determination to understand what they were doing. I mean, it's amazing. So he begins to read and he hears about the propitiatory sacrifice in the Old Testament. In other words, something being sacrificed for someone else to appease wrath. So he thought, what? May I transfer all my guilt to another? Has God provided me an offering that I may lie my sins on his head? 
He immediately laid his sins upon the sacred head of Jesus and he came to know Christ. And on Wednesday of the Holy Week, he wrote, I began a hope of mercy. On Thursday, my hope increased. On Friday and Saturday, it became more strong. And on the Sunday morning, Easter day, April 4th, I awoke early with these words upon my heart and my lips. Jesus Christ is risen today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He went on to be ordained. And after a short time, St. Edwards, Cambridge, at the age of 23, he was appointed vicar of Holy Trinity Church. And I'm going to tell you, at the age of 23, Charles Simeon may have had his last happy day, if you will, for what was about to happen to him in ministry is something that is still talked about at pastor's conferences to this day. In fact, leveraged as an illustration not so long ago by one John Piper himself who has found tremendous inspiration from Charles Simeon. You say, what happened? Well, near the campus of where he was schooled in Cambridge, there was a church, Holy Trinity Church. He used to walk by it as a lad in college and he would say, oh, if one day I could preach there. So now that he is ordained, an opportunity came as the pastor was being replaced. But the church wanted one of its assistant pastors to take over. But the organization that oversaw the church wanted to place someone else in the position. There began to be quite a squabble and he stepped out of it. But the organization said, we are not going to be appointing the other pastor. We're going to appoint you if you take it. And he took it knowing that they weren't going to appoint someone else, almost as an act of grace to that would-be congregation. Well, they despised this decision. So much so that when he was called to be a pastor, they locked the doors on him. He finally found his way in and began to preach on Sundays. They, instead of coming, started an afternoon service with the other pastor that they wanted and so he would preach Sunday mornings and they'd go to this afternoon service with the other pastor that they wanted. This went on for some five years. Teachers, imagine if you got a teaching job, the school didn't really want you, the kids didn't want you, and they got another teacher to teach so that all the kids could go to that instead of come to yours. At the same time, well, it's double that. This is a church. So you got a pastor preaching and most people are coming to the afternoon service because they don't like that he's in there. They're locking the doors on him. They're saying all sorts of horrible things on him. They never accept him and he continues to preach. One Sunday morning, they came in and locked the pews. Now what I have is a picture here of a church similar to that that is not Holy Trinity Church, but I wanted to use this church as an illustration because young people, you gotta understand, if you ever go to Williamsburg or something like that, you can see churches like this, but they literally had the pews in boxes, okay? They were like box family boxes, okay? Where they had doors and the family's name was on the door, okay? So if you came in, you would look at your family name and you turn that key, you'd go in there and you'd sit down and they would rent these and this would be their pew. Come to my pew, right? And your family would sit in there and they, and they, and they sit and, and do all this stuff. Well, you know what they did? They locked their pews on Charles. So he comes in on a Sunday morning, they got all their pews locked. And the people had to stand in the aisles that would come to hear Charles. And he preached to them. Year after year, this would go on. This wasn't like one Sunday. And he kept 
going. I mean, how many people? I'm out, right? I'm not dealing with this. I don't deserve this kind of treatment. I mean, what kind of preacher would like this kind of treatment? But then, you know what Charles did? This savage climbed over, got the pews, and put him in the aisles. When they found out he put the pews in the aisles, they came in the afternoon and went, took the pews out of the church. What? Back when God was God, right? Um, this, you know, this is all going on. This guy is enduring all this. And not only that, he was villainized and attacked at the university, which was across the street, basically, where you weren't allowed to talk to this guy. I mean, they constantly browbeat him. He started an evening Bible study one time because Sunday morning was such a discouragement for him. He started an evening Bible study. You know what the college did? They put the students that were coming in a class at that time so they couldn't go to his Bible study. What was his problem? I mean, how bad a guy could he be? He had an evangelistic message and he would share the gospel with people that couldn't afford pews even and it wasn't well received on top of the fact that they never accepted him he lived a life of rejection but kept continuing to preach 10 years 15 years he remarks, I strolled forth one day, buffeted and afflicted, with my little testament in my hand. The first text which caught my eye was this. They found a man from Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. He remarked that one time he felt the joy of a student walking beside him on the campus for more than 15 minutes. He said, oh, what a delight to be loved for a quarter of a half an hour. This man's life was surrounded by rejection, yet he continued to preach and preach five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years he was going through this kind of torment, yet he established a Bible society. He established a church missionary society. He had a section of his ministry that he experienced some peace and some acceptance, only then to be hit with a health struggle that would leave him almost unable to talk after Sunday morning messages were done. That battle lasted for 13 years of fighting his voice every Sunday morning and then still having occasional attacks come up because of resentment that had built up and he kept going he dreamed of the day he could retire at the age of 60 he says I went to Scotland and my health came back to me he said it was as if God rebuked me for thinking about retiring and he went back to the church feeling much healthier and preached for 17 more years John Piper remarks on this life. He says, I have needed this inspiration from another century because I know that I am in great measure a child of my times. What's he mean? And one of the pervasive marks of our times right now is emotional fragility. We are easily hurt. We blame easily. We break easily. Our marriages break easily. Our faith breaks easily. Our happiness breaks easily. We are easily disheartened and it seems we have little capacity for surviving or thriving in the face of any opposition. He gave this at a pastor's conference. 
He said, do you want to test me? If you're not a child of your times, then have someone say something discouraging, talk behind your back, question your work ethic, treat you unfairly. And he said, watch how fast you dream and fantasize of quitting, running, and never going back. When we have one difficulty in a relationship, young people, you'll follow me when I say we ghost people quickly. We're a generation that struggles to learn the power of perseverance. And these people of the past built very differently are pictures of words like resolve, commitment, determination, follow through, conviction that we can learn from. And we need to learn from this because we are a hurting people. Things that have come into our society now, we don't just face criticism at work, you can go home and get criticism. Young people, when I went to high school, we would come home, we'd see our friends the next day. You almost interact with them more in the evening than you do at school. It's constant, it's all around us, especially working its way into ministry. And like I told you, you said this at a pastor's conference, have you seen some of the statistics even in the pastoral ministry? 97% of pastors have been betrayed or falsely accused. 94% of pastors report their families feel the pressure of ministry. 90% of pastors report working 55 to 70 hours. 80% of pastors admit they feel defeated and discouraged. 75% of pastors report severe stress and anxiety. 10% will retire a pastor. 10. 90% of pastors will not retire. They'll leave the ministry. 7,000 churches close each year. 1,500 pastors quit each month from Biblical Counseling for Courage report. In other words, there's not only just a ton of hurting people, there's a ton of hurting leaders. Now, don't we love to kill our own? It's breaking news when someone falls. I have read in pastoral articles of three pastors just this year of larger churches who committed suicide. And so if it's happening from those who are trying to give life, what's it like everywhere else? We have a hurting society. So how do we persevere? How do we get through this difficulty? How do we get through pushback? How do we get through people treating us poorly, even unfairly? We've got to know something about God. We've got to know something Charles knew. I love this quote from his life. He said this, my life was a growing downward. <laughs> Not a growing upward. My life was a growing downward. What do you mean? He said, I believe there's three lessons which every minister has to learn. One, humility. Two, humility. Three, humility. Charles Simeon knew something about what God provides and I wanna offer it to you today. I'm even gonna give you some of his hacks of how he survived such treatment in case you're being treated unfairly in your life. But after 54 years in the pulpit, he handed a 21-volume set of his life work to William IV, a man of great, great perseverance. When life was completely unfair. And that's today's sermon. We're going to call it unfair. What can triumph over partiality, over prejudice, over exclusivism, over, over people being left out, over people like what happened to Simeon? 
what can triumph over that? I can think you're going to find a word that has triumphed over it in your own life. And I pray it encourages you today. Would you join me as we attack Acts chapter 11 and see what God wants to do and see also how the Jerusalem church will respond to this Cornelius, if you remember last week, who came to know Christ as a savior. Let's pray and dig in. Heavenly Father, use this text today. If there's anybody out there that feels they've been treated unfairly, I pray we can encourage them today. Anybody out there that feels a little betrayed this morning or feels like, like just life has kind of dealt them a raw deal? Maybe they have a difficult time looking at other people's lives and going, how come they have that? How come she got that? How come he got that? Lord, I pray we can speak into this. We can have you speak into this more importantly. And I pray we can learn not only something for the Jerusalem church's response to what happened with Cornelius, but the response of Peter, who was basically accused of behavior that was actually even driven by you. Lord, I pray that we'll thrive after this sermon amongst difficulty, but we're gonna need you to do that because of ourselves, Lord, we get really hurt and defeated and discouraged. So I pray we can encourage a discouraged soul today. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, let's jump on our map. Let's see where we're at. We're walking through Acts. I hope you've enjoyed these walks. I'm a visual learner, so we got pictures, okay? Um, In Jerusalem, Peter headed out to Lydda. There, Aeneas was healed. Then Tabitha in Joppa. Peter was there up in Caesarea. Cornelius sees a vision. God says to Cornelius, send somebody down to Joppa to get Peter to come up here. Well, Peter gets the same vision. He's on a rooftop and he gets this vision of some animals coming down in a big blanket or sheet. And then they go back up and God says, rise, kill, eat. And he's going, oh, no, 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 no. The ceremonial laws, I know, not to eat of that meat. I will not do that. But God says, hey, you do that. I'm telling you to do that. And so Peter kind of went to Cornelius' house up in Caesarea, and Cornelius comes to know Jesus as his personal savior, and the Holy Spirit comes on them and baptizes them like it happened at Pentecost. And word is getting out because Cornelius was a very infamous or famous man, excuse me. And it says the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea, okay, throughout Judea, they, they heard that the Gentiles, the dogs, remember, to the Jews, these uncommon, unclean people, pagans, they also receive the word of God. What? The word of God is going beyond the Jewish people? Yahweh, the Jewish God, Israel's God, the word of God is going beyond that? They heard of this and they have questions. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party or the Jews criticized them saying, you went to the uncircumcised men and ate with them. Now, I notice there's no question mark. There's no grace. Hey, Peter, it's cool if you just tell us, did you go and eat with the Gentiles? Did you, I mean, did you go to the bar and get a tattoo? I mean, think about how taboo this was. Like, did you do that? I mean, come on, you didn't do that, right? We heard, they didn't do that. They went, we heard you ate with uncircumcised men. You ate with Gentiles. You ate with them. And you know what's interesting? If you've been tracking in Acts, Luke never said that he ate. 
So word is on the street. You had some food. I wonder if Peter, who also left out he was at a tanner's house, was eating that food going, oh my goodness, this is wonderful. Peter found grace. And, and he went to the unsighted, and, and they're like, what's going on with that? I mean, really, Peter? I mean, think about this. I mean, Peter, you're like our pastor in some ways. You're like a figurehead, and you're going and behaving like that? I mean, for us Jews, I mean, what are you doing? You understand the ramifications of that? Do you know how many people are like, well, Peter did it. This is taboo behavior. You know taboo? You ever heard of that word? It's socially prohibitive behavior. There's certain behavior right now that if you do it in certain areas, you will find out it's taboo. I know what you're, you all understand what I'm talking about. Anybody else behave like this? Anybody behave a little, little, little like, what are you doing? You're not, you're not following social norms. Well, let me take you to a section in Mark. Remember this story? It, it was when the tax collector Levi came to know Christ as his savior. Do you remember what happened? Do you remember what Jesus was accused of? Let, let me remind you. Scripture says this, and he reclined at the table in his, Matthew, the tax collector's house. And many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus' and disciples for there were many who followed him. Do you like the categories they gave people? Tax collectors, disgusting. Young people, this is what would happen. Jews would sometimes get a job working for the Roman government and they would take taxes from their own people. And they would steal from them. And so the Jewish people looked at tax collectors as betrayers. Just awful, awful people. But then they had another section. Sinners. You're just sinners. Tax collectors and sinners. Who were the sinners? These were people who didn't practice Judaism. They didn't understand the things of Yahweh. And they were just, oh, just disgusting. Oh, just just yuck, and, and, and they would stay away from these people, and, and they would be taught to stay away from them. And Jesus goes and, and hangs out with them. It's like they have a party. Jesus is like, hey, let's go. Levi, let's go, where's your house? And tax collectors are like, let's go hang out with Jesus. And, and, and sinners came, let's go hang out with Jesus. And scripture continues, and he says this, and, and the scribes and the Pharisees, when they saw that, he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus just overhears them and butts in. And Jesus says this, those who are well have no need of a physician. Who's he talking about? The Pharisees. You, think you're, you don't think you're sick. But see, those who are sick, I came not to call righteous people who think they're righteous, but sinners. And an even better translation, I would find it to be, but sinners to repentance. I came to call sinners to repentance. I came to call people who need me. That's who I came for. I didn't come for the people who, who necessarily think they don't need me, Pharisees and Sadducees. I came for those who are sick. You know, the whole idea of Jesus, it, it seems to be this. I, I like this. Jesus loved the ones that people loved to hate. You got somebody you hate? You got somebody you find disgusting? Their worldview of life? Oh, oh. Jesus would probably go hang out with them right in front of your face. In fact, if he knew that was in your heart, he'd probably go out of his way to do it. Wow. Wow. What's Jesus doing? Well, one, he knows they need a savior. And two, he was the definition of grace. He defined it. 
And so they turn, they turn to Peter, who's behaving in a very similar fashion, and says, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But, but Peter said, let me explain, let me explain. Peter's like, you're not even gonna believe this. It's almost like Peter had a journal and said, let me tell you about this, because he repeats it. Listen to this. Guys, stay with me. I know you can still smell the wonderful food I had, but just stay with me. I was in the city of Joppa praying and in a trance I saw a vision. Something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to me. And looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. These guys are like, oh no, Peter's lost it. Poor guy. No, he continues. But then I heard a voice say to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, for, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. He practiced the ceremonial laws. I would not. But the voice came to me a second time and said, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened to me three times, guys. And, and all was drawn up again into heaven. It's like, it's like these animals that were going up in heaven. It's almost like something's happening where God's calling things that I have always called unclean. It's like he's saying, they're no longer unclean. We're gonna not show partiality. There's gonna be no partiality. I'm gonna call even those things. Peter's, I'm working through this. And behold, guys, at that moment, there was like a knock on the door, okay? He's just talking about what happened. And at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were at. And they were sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. And these six brothers also accompanied me. And, and we entered the man's house. So like, he's like, and these six guys. And they're like, yeah, yeah, Peter's telling the truth. What's going on? And, and, and he told us how he had seen an angel stand in the house and say, send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and your household. And as it began to speak, guys, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as it fell on us. Remember Pentecost, guys, it happened. I watched it. And I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And Peter's like, guys, I saw it all. And then he says this, if, if, God gave them the same gift to them as he gave to us guys when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Who was I that I could stand in the way of God? How could I get in the way of God? He wants to offer them salvation. He wants to offer the Gentile salvation. In fact, he's saying, I'm calling it clean now. We can even do some of these. We can interact with the Gentiles. I watched it happen, guys. It was all God. There's a breakthrough going on. Jews and Gentiles are gonna be able to associate and worship the same God who sent his son Jesus to be their savior. This is what Acts is showing us. There is a coming together and anybody in this room who's not a Jew, you're a Gentile. And this is your history. This is your church history. This is why you know Jesus Christ is your savior because the gospel is going out beyond the Jewish people. And they heard these things, scripture says, and they fell silent. College students, someday you might get a job where you gotta give your first presentation. You'll walk into some boardroom. There's gonna be a bunch of people around you. They're kind of looking at you. They're all fellowshipping. They all know each other. They all know their intricacies and all that stuff. You got your boss over here to the right going, hey man, you can do a good job, but seriously, do a good job. 
You're looking over here, this guy doesn't look too interested. This guy wants to do something else. She's on her cell phone and it's time for your presentation. You gotta get up and you gotta give her presentation and you finally get done. You think you sold him and you look around the room and everyone's silent and there's this horrifying moment where you're like, And Luke kind of sets this up. Peter's like, guys, I went to the Gentiles. Yes, I ate, but, but God told me to do this. This was all God and the Gentiles now are coming to know Jesus Christ. And they all fell silent. Come on, Luke, what, what, what did they do? Some of you are reading ahead, I can tell. They did this. They glorify God saying, well, then do the Gentiles also. God has granted repentance of life. Hip, hip, hooray. I mean, oh, Peter's like, oh, thank goodness they received it that way. I mean, it's like, well, that's great. That's awesome. That's amazing. But there's still a problem. I don't think the Pharisees and Sadducees are gonna be all too excited about this. I don't think non-Christian Jews, those who have not placed their faith in Jesus, who are practicing Jews, would be very happy to hear that these Christ follower Jews were sharing Christ with Gentiles, there's a problem still, but they are excited upon hearing this, and Luke seems to get excited. And you know, when Luke gets excited, he gives you a report on the church. And so, leveraging maps, so you don't just read this. If you were by yourself reading this text, you would read through, you'd hear a bunch of towns, and you go, I'm checking out, okay? You might check out even with me doing it, okay? But, there's something going on here. Luke always likes to give status reports and he wants to kind of show you how Verizon and T-Mobile, if you will, spread out, right, and get more coverage. He wants to show you the gospel spreading out. So Luke just kind of gets terribly excited and starts telling you about it. And I'll use a map to kind of do it. He says, now there were those scattered because of the persecution that arose from Stephen. Remember Stephen down here in the Jerusalem area? He was, he was, murdered on the streets, right? And, and they spread, they all ran. Remember they ran? Well, where did they go? Well, they went out, it says, as far as Phoenicia. So here we go. They went out, they came up here and Cyprus, some of them got on boats and went over to Cyprus, okay? And even Antioch. <gasps> they went to Antioch? Yes, they did. Oh my. Let me, oh, let me do this. And some of the early Christians went to Las Vegas. Antioch was known for being a little, let's say, risque, okay? It's like Christians walking down like, oh my goodness, Las Vegas, don't look at the bus, kids. Okay, I'm sorry. All right, I mean, they, they, like, they, they're, they're, I mean, they're so fired up about the gospel, they're going everywhere. They're, oh my goodness, they went up to Antioch, okay, and they began to speak the word, but, but watch, see, they didn't know what was going on in Caesarea, they didn't know. They weren't texting each other, okay? So they didn't know, and they would speak only to the Jews. Okay, okay, so what's going on? So, so Luke says, but, but watch this. But there were some of them, men from Cyprus, okay, Cyprus, and Cyrene, okay, North Africa area, Cyprus. Who was from Cyprus? Who was from, Barnabas was from Cyprus, right? And then Africa, okay, so some of them, that means they were more Greek speaking, okay, so probably Hellenists, who on coming to Antioch, okay, everyone's going to Antioch. Hey, we're allowed to go to Antioch. They spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. What? You say, what? What, Chris? What? 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 They were preaching the Lord 
Jesus? Like this is sometimes the first time. You're, you're all 21st century Christians, so you hear things, preaching the Lord Jesus, that just sounds like every epistle, okay? But this is the first time we hear phrases like this. And, and this is just craziness. There was one Lord of this area, and his name was Caesar. There was no other Lord. So not only were these Christians going Cyprus, Cyrene, Antioch, and it was spreading out, but now they're going around saying there's another master and his name is Jesus. Luke is getting fired up. And he says, it was everywhere. And the hand of the Lord was with him. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Now, now, what do you know about the hand of the Lord, this anthropomorphism where you talk about God having like a body and a hand? What do you know about the hand? The hand of the Lord does two things in scripture. You know what they are? It brings judgment or it brings blessing. The hand of the Lord was bringing blessing. It was creating a new entity of Jews and Gentiles, even Latin speaking people. They were operating with, God was operating with mankind very differently. He's building the body of Christ. He's providing a new covenant where the ceremonial laws are being released from Judaism and they're allowing grace to pour in. What's he doing? What's he doing? He's building the church. The hand of God is building the church and Luke wants you to make sure that you understand that. And the report is getting everywhere. News is going out and it finds its way back to Jerusalem, the city that has to verify everything. And look what scripture says. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem and they sent who? Barnabas to Antioch. So Barnabas heads up there. And when he came, he saw the grace of God. And he was so glad. And he exhorted them. Note this, to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. His first thing to say to them when he saw God's grace being poured out into someone's life was to say, I want you to be faithful and I want you to be steadfast. I wonder if Charles Simeon knew that. Be faithful and be steadfast for the grace of the Lord is being poured out. In what way? Well, we're getting closer. Luke, whenever he talks about Barnabas, he just asked to add a few nice things because Barnabas was just that awesome. Just quickly speaking of Barnabas, he says, for he's a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. If Barnabas says this activity's okay, it's okay. Do you know somebody like that? Hey, man, I really think it's okay. I mean, so-and-so said it's okay. Oh, you said it's okay? Yeah. Okay, well, it's okay. That's the kind of guy Barnabas was. So Barnabas, seeing this spreading of the gospel, goes, we gotta get help. And, and he went to Tarsus. He's up in Antioch. He heads to Tarsus. And who's there? Saul. When's his name gonna be Paul? Stay tuned. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So Barnabas goes, we need your help, Saul. And these guys come back to Antioch. And everyone's like, oh, Antioch, right? But they're there. And the gospel's going out big league in Antioch. And you're gonna see that in a huge way as we move through the book after Easter. Why are you called a Christian? Why do you call yourself a Christian? Where did the term Christian come from? All we've heard in Acts so far as the building of the church is God-fearers, people who worshiped in the Jewish temple. Where do you get that term? Here it is. 
Acts eleven twenty six. For a whole year they met there with the church and taught great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. For those who just enjoy just a little bit of language, I don't, I'm not big on the, the Greek says, okay? I'm not that guy for you. Even though I enjoy studying it, I know I say that and some of you are like, whatever. There's something really cool within that word, Christians. Okay, one, my name's in there. That's pretty cool. No, no, that's not, that's not, that's not. Okay. Christians, okay? Okay, Christ. In Jewish thought, Christ would be the similarity to Messiah or anointed one. So within that name, you have Jewish thought. Christ in its substantive form, just stay. In its substantive form is Greek, okay? So we have Greek thought and Ian's, okay? Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, okay? Ian's, you have Latin. And so now, within just this title, there is this aspect that God is allowing this thought of everyone coming together. Do you know what the word Christians mean? Those belonging to Christ's party. Christ's having a party with sinners, tax collectors, Gentiles, and Jews. Seems like he's not very partial. Seems like an impartial God. Seems like Jesus welcomes anybody who wants to come to his party. Thus, the name Christian. We, we see throughout this text that I called unfair that something can triumph over partiality. God is not a God of partiality. And there's something that can triumph over partiality. There's something that can triumph over unfair treatment. There's something that triumphs that. There's something that beats that. And Charles Simeon knew it. And you, child of God, if you're discouraged today, you can have it too. If someone's being unfair to you in the workplace, in the retirement home, in your class, or at your college, that you can have too. And it's one word. It's grace. It's grace. Now, how do you define grace? I've always defined it as unmerited favor. I've always enjoyed that undeserved, unmerited favor. And Barnabas saw this going on. Barnabas saw the grace of God. But my definition of grace has grown. It's just not God's awesome favor in my life. But there's a second and third aspect to it that I have found in my study that has really brought a lot to my prayer life. Because I think we all struggle with fair. That's why I titled the message that. I remember watching a, an ambulance go flying through a red light, <laughs> flew through it. And one of my kids in the back when they were real little said, dad, how come they get to go through the red lights? I was like, well, could they put their sirens on? They get to go through the red lights. Well, that's not fair. Say, trust me, you want that. You want that. If you're ever in the back of that, you, you want that. Let, let me give some red light, yellow light, green light on this word grace to kind of teach you how I've grown in my definition. For any of you who might be thinking right now, that's not fair. 
And I want to just touch on the doctrine of grace, and we just touched it here before application. This isn't going to be a huge, because the doctrine of grace is massive, so I just want to touch on it. Have you ever seen people treated in a way that you call unfairly and it just bothered you? Let me irritate all of you for a second. Have you ever seen this? I'm gonna, put this, I'm gonna call this the red light. Have you ever seen anybody get unfair opportunity? They get special invites they don't really deserve? Or, or they know people, so they get special offers? <clears throat> You've been at the company 15 years, they've been there six months, they are now your boss. <clears throat> they get unfair treatment, unpunished behavior. I'm here every time on top of that, what, what? They do whatever they want. Well, they, they know somebody. Mm, just irritates us, right? Uh, uh, undeserved forgiveness. Unfair empowerment. You see, we're unmerited promotion. Undeserved pos- positions given out. And we see this. We don't like it. Unfair opportunity. Unfair treatment. Unfair empowerment. And we yell, that's not fair. We all want fair, right? Can I argue from a biblical perspective? You don't want fair. You don't want fair. You don't want fair. You say, what do you mean? Well, let me put my yellow light up. You know what's fair? Scripture says, fall of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Any archers here? Any, any, any bow hunters? You pull back your bow. You got all sorts of techniques on it to make it even more awesome. And you let it go and you shoot that arrow. If it misses the bullseye, you've missed the mark. That's the same idea and word where we get sin. Sin is missing the mark. You know what scripture says? Everyone has pulled their bow back and tried to shoot and get themselves to heaven. They can't. They all miss the mark. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You want fair opportunity? Nobody gets to go to heaven. That's fair. What? You, you want fair treatment? For the wages, the price, get out your wallet, the price of sin, you know what the price of sin is? Death. That's fair. You want fair? Fair treatment is everyone falls short and doesn't go to heaven and everyone instead dies and goes to eternal punishment. That's fair for all our sinners. And all sinners can't be brought into the presence of a holy God. What? You want fair empowerment? Yeah, There is no one righteous, not even one. But that guy's a really good guy. There is no one righteous, scripture says, not even one. You don't want fair. You don't want fair. See, fair ended in the garden. Cancer don't care. Cancer ain't fair. COVID ain't fair. Disease ain't fair. Nothing's fair. It happens. Rain falls on the righteous and rain falls on the wicked. We have no idea what lot necessarily we may get. And many of us might be called to suffer like Charles Simeon, but that's not fair ended when sin was brought into this world. And through one man's sin, sin was big word imputed or put on everybody. And so that all our sinners all pull the bow back and shoot and miss. And because of that, they can't go to heaven. That's fair. Well, that stinks. And that's why you have a loving father who said, I'm gonna send my only begotten son who is capable of pulling back that bow and going bullseye every time. What? Yeah. And you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna make it. So he hits that mark for Chris. He hits that mark, name anybody in here who's accepted Jesus Christ. And he hits it for him as long as they're in him. 
What do you mean in him? Well, you're all identified by your sin before salvation. If you steal something, you're a thief. If you think a lustful thought against another woman, men, Jesus says we're all adulterers if we do that. So everybody's missed the mark, yeah. And you're defined by your sin. Your identity is your sin. But something neat happens, and you know me, I love the envelope illustration. I'm identified as Chris. That's my ID, it's not a real ID yet. But it's Chris. But when I come to know Jesus Christ as my savior, scripture says I'm in Christ. I'm in Christ, I'm no longer Chris, I'm in Christ. You are in Christ, they who are in Christ. You who are in Christ, you see it throughout the New Testament. Those who are in Christ, in Christ, at the moment of salvation, are in Christ. And when Jesus looks at the Chris, he sees Christ. And Jesus does this awesome thing. He treats me as if I lived the life of Christ, as if I hit the mark. I don't deserve that. And then the Holy Spirit comes over and goes, give me the envelope seal you up for the day of salvation. Oh, wait, I'm gonna stay with you and empower you the rest of your life. What, what? I didn't do anything, guys. I can't hit the mark. I, I didn't do anything. You're right. Grace is unfair. Green light. Grace is unfair opportunity. I've been given a special offer. Offer by grace you have been saved through faith. It is a gift of God. If it's a gift, it means I didn't do anything to deserve it. I get unfair treatment justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. Redemption means he bought me back. You know, you can't just let somebody have grace without somebody getting punished. And that's why Jesus came and took the punishment for my sin. I still hear people say, well, one day, Christian, you're gonna get punished for that. You're gonna pay for that. No, you're not. No, you're not. It's already been paid for. It's been paid for. I'm pretty sure there's no condemnation for those in Jesus Christ. And that's unfair treatment. It's as if I live the life of Christ. I'm in Christ. And then I get his empowerment. And that is what Charles Simeon knew. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect when you're weak, Christian. Any child of God out there, you are probably being treated unfairly in some area of your life. You are being browbeaten in some area of your life. You may be struggling with a suffering or sickness in some area of your life, and you're going, I don't have Charles Simeon's strength. Yes, you do. You have Christ, and his grace is sufficient for you. I listened to a father say, I was driving in the car, and my son kept misbehaving in the back, just a little guy in his seat. And I said, you gotta stop, you gotta stop. He didn't stop, he said, that's it, you're gonna be punished when you get home. And the car fell silent. He said, I'm driving just a little bit further and I hear a little voice come from the back. Daddy, yes, can I have grace? <laughs> Who needs to pray that prayer today? I feel like a failure, I feel defeated, I feel discouraged, I feel like I wanna quit, the pressure on me is too much. Daddy, yeah, can I have grace? Can I have grace? Can you treat me in a way I don't deserve? And Jesus goes, now we're talking. You want my help? I need your help. I have tried everything, all right? You waving the white flag? I am. 
You can't do it anymore? No, I can't do it anymore. All right, you're talking my language. You want grace? I need grace. I need unfair treatment. I need unfair opportunity I don't deserve. And I need unfair empowerment because I got nothing left in me. And his grace just floods into the individual. And that's why I love this definition of grace. Unmerited favor, undeserved treatment, and unwarranted empowerment. And when that happens, you can't help but give out grace. That's grace. That's unfair. Scripture says in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, this, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Yellow light, not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of your works, so that no one might boast. Boast in what? That I got myself there based on my behavior. Nope. Grace. And when you have grace, you can give grace. I heard a pastor say to me one time, Chris, the hardest thing you'll find in ministry is people are gonna treat you certain ways. The hardest thing in ministry is treating people better than they deserve to be treated. Well, that's grace. Do you have somebody in your life that they don't deserve your grace? They've been horrible to you. They've been cruel They have hurt you in ways you can't even imagine. And it would be very unfair to treat them in any other way than you're dead to me. I'm never gonna talk to you again. Get away from me. And and there might just be a scratching of the Holy Spirit going, maybe they need grace. I don't have the grace to give it to them. Do you want my help? I need your help. And Charles Simeon says, when you realize how much grace you've been given, He says, if you have indeed been so highly distinguished, should you not live no longer for yourself, but altogether unto him who died for you and rose again? Charles Simeon knew something. Here's a secret. I've been given so much grace. I can hook my church up a little bit, even though they're locking the pews, even though they're taking my pews. I've been given so much grace, I can give them grace back. And, and, and Piper went on to give kind of like a master class of Charles Simeon's strength. He said, the seven things that got him through where he felt a sense of accountability, it is my responsibility, I can't quit on this. I can't quit on this. The devil is gonna want you to quit on someone or something even this week. I have an accountability. He refrained from a scolding tone. He said, I'm gonna offer people grace. He didn't preach with a scolding tone that was so popular of that time period. He placed a deaf ear to rumors. He refused to believe what he was hearing about him because he knew it wouldn't get anywhere. He met with his opponents personally. Instead of reaching out across the path, he thought that only reconciliation could be met in a personal meeting, even if it was difficult to do. He grew from rebuke. If somebody hit him, he tried to grow from it. He had no love for money, so money wouldn't be a deciding factor in how he decided things, and he spent massive doses of time in prayer. You will not survive hardship without an understanding of the grace you've been given, and then you can give it to others. Folks, in my time of leadership, I'm not even close to 54 years. But in my 21 years, I've learned a few things about hand to handle things when people are hurtful to me that I'll share with you in our final four minutes. I call them my um, when people are unfair list. Okay? 
I get asked sometimes these questions and that's what they're based on. What do you do when people speak poorly of you and you hear about it? First thing I try to do now, and it's taken me a long time to get there and I still fail because it hurts so bad, amen? It does. Not to take it to heart. Grace knows not to take it to heart and it knows why not to take it to heart. Ecclesiastes seven, also do not take heart everything people say. For many times also, your own heart has known that you even have cursed another. Grace says, don't throw the first stone. You've done that to people yourself. So when someone takes a shot at you and you hear about it, you might wanna say, there's probably somewhere, sometime during my lifetime that somebody said, you know what Chris said about you? And so take it as that and don't take it to heart and continue to move forward. What do you do when people are trying to hurt you with their approach? Like you're such a disgrace or this is, un this is so foolish, your decision making. What do you, what do, you do when that happens? I, I, I stop. And I follow good sense. You go, what do you mean stop? Well, first, listen to the verse, Proverbs 19, 11. Good sense makes one slow to anger and it is glory to overlook, to pass over. Kind of the idea of the Egyptian, pass over the offense. It's your glory to do that first. So stop, follow good sense. What do I mean by stop? Being a younger guy, I was extremely confidential. If, uh, confrontational. If somebody said something, I said, I'm standing right here. I'm, I was that type of individual, especially in my 20s. Got me a lot of trouble in ministry. Stop. Stop, what do you mean? Don't respond right away. Give yourself time to collect it. I have a file, it's called the Never Send file. I have things even in there to some of my children's coaches that I wanted to send. Some things to employees, some things to other people. Some th but then there were also things that I want to respond when people responded to me. And I even type it out sometimes, get it off my chest, but I never send it. And I wait till the morning to see if I still agree with it. Don't put in the email address in case you actually hit the hit button. Okay. <laughs> Stop. Grace is new in the morning. You may feel totally different about it in 24 hours. Third thing I try to do, what, what do you do? What do you do? What do you do, Chris? When, when, when you can't escape somebody, like they're hurting you and they're like a family member and they're gonna be with you for a long time and they hurt you every time you see them and I can't escape them. What do you do there? Here, here, here's, consider how to love them, not fix them. I'm a fixer. Anybody a fixer? I want to fix everything. My wife says, I'm just feeling this way. Okay, how can we fix it? I don't want to fix it. I wanted to share that. Okay. Consider how to love them. My whole life changed when I started looking at people as a person to love, not a problem to solve. Let each of you look out not only for your own interests, but also the interests of others. What about, what about when someone's upset about the decisions you're making or, or the approach that you're taking? Grace knows to realize there is always more to the story. When, when I don't like the way somebody's making a decision and maybe even they have an authority over me, I have to remember there's usually more to the story of why they made the decision and I try to offer them grace. The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes along and examines him. So stupid, the school canceled today, it barely snowed. It's like 9 a.m., there's no snow on the ground. But they gotta make the decision before 9 a.m. Why? Because the bus drivers get out of their beds at like 3.30 a.m., my dad was one, and needs to know if he's going to the bus stop to gas up the things. They can't make the decisions in real time. There's more to the story. Give administrators some grace. 
I've always known that. Realize there's probably more to the story before I get judgmental. Hey, hey, how about this one? What if someone's trying to seek to guilt you and to make you feel ashamed? That's such a disturbing, or just using language that hurts you. I, I try to apply this. Use this for refining, not defining. I'm just a clay pot, scripture tells me, to show that all the power belongs to God, not to me. You can take shots at this guy. This guy does fail. This guy does make mistakes. So I wanna use this to refine, but I'm sorry. There ain't a person in this world that can define me. You can call me a loser and a failure. You can call me a joke of a leader. You can do all those things. I don't answer to that. I answer to the one who defines me. So don't use people's feedback to define you, but instead to refine you. Let me give you two more before we walk out. Seek to spin it quickly for good. When you take a shot of criticism and it hurts, I wanna encourage you, seek to spin it, and I put quickly for good. Here's one of the things I do. When I get something and it hurts and it stings, it's like, ouch, that hurt, you grab your phone and go, who's getting encouraged? I slide through, I go, hey man, what? Hey Chris, what's up? No, just, how are you doing today? Oh, it's cool, it's random, what's going on? Now you guys are gonna be like, oh, he got shot at, okay. I'm like, hey man, just when, at, when I turn it quickly onto someone else, it changed my whole day. Because otherwise I'll walk around my head going, you know what I should say to them? No, 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 I'm gonna turn this quickly. I'm not gonna let the devil steal all my day because of that criticism. And then my last one, hand over your defense. Hand over your defense. God, vindicate me, oh God. Defend my cause against ungodly people from deceitful and unjust men. Deliver me. When you can't do anything about it and the attacks just keep coming, saying, God, you're gonna have to defend me. I need grace. When people are unfair, grace knows how to respond. So here's my challenge to you. You can put up all seven. Here's my challenge for you this week. Somebody you know is probably gonna need some grace, some unmerited favor, some undeserved treatment, and some unwarranted encouragement or empowerment from you. Somebody you might not even want to do it for. I want you to ask for God's help to get you through the difficulty of showing grace to someone else who you know doesn't deserve it. And I'll tell you why. Because you are walking out here not realizing you've been given so much grace. You can offer some too. Who does God want you to characterize him with this week? Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace. Can we have more of it? Not because we deserve it. Not because we warrant it, but just because of the awesome God you are. Who do you want us to show grace to this week? And in doing so, model Jesus Christ here on earth. God, we're all going through difficult and hard times. Everybody in here may have their own different story of suffering. Lord, with your great grace, May they call for your help that you would come alongside them and help them through their discouraging time so that they not try to do it alone. And we'll give you all the glory and all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.